Well, today we are going to be wrapping up our series that we've been looking at uh, called Balance, which is looking at the four kind of what I call the pillars of theological reflections that we do here in the United Methodist Church. Okay, and those are your scripture, reason, experience, tradition, all those four pillars. Many of our students that go through confirmation classes, we focus on those. And as adults, though, we don't quite revisit that. And so we feel like it's important to have this teaching series before Lent to see and understand how we view God, how we theologically reflect, how we get to know God in our faith tradition. And so today's final pillar we're looking at is, is reason, is reason and how that fits into the ways we look at God in our faith. And so the passage that we're going to be hearing from that goes along with this is coming from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 32 verses 22 through 32. And so I invite you to follow along on the words as it is presented behind me on the screens, or you can read it in your personal Bible, whether it's a Bible app or an actual hard copy Bible. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. Now the same night he got up, took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford at Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. And then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What's your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, very interesting story. A story that some of us have definitely read and studied before. But I want to kind of jump right in. Let's take a look at this story, the context, what's happening with Jacob... Okay, And what that means for our faith and this idea of reason that we're looking at, this theological reflective point of reason. So first, who is Jacob? Okay, Well, Jacob is the son of Rebekah and Isaac, who also has a very famous brother that pay, plays a part in this story called Esau. And then the other person in this story is an unnamed man. Okay. If you want to read it literally, it doesn't give you the clear indication that he's wrestling with God, but we pick up that he is wrestling with God from the later parts in the passages, from the name, being given the name Israel, meaning that you have struggled with God and humans, and then for the naming of the place being prenil, meaning that I have seen God and, and was, my life was preserved. So later in the passage, we believe this is God that he's wrestling with, but it doesn't clearly give his name. It says unnamed man, just a man in the middle of the night that he wrestled with. But those are your two key characters in this story that we have today. And the main thing that's happening is it's a struggle. Wrestling. As Robin talked about wrestling down here. And as we all know, if you 
have a sibling, especially if you're a brother and you got another brother, you've probably tussled with your brother before, okay? And that's putting it lightly. I'm sure brothers really kind of beat on each other really hard. Now, I never had an older brother. I had an older sister. But my dad and I would tussle growing up a little bit, okay? And so wrestling is a common thing that many of us may have done physically in our lives growing up with siblings and parents. But also, kind of metaphorically, you know, we've wrestled on the inside with stuff as well, right? And that's something that everybody can relate to, even our children, the children's mom, wrestling with making a decision. You know, and at different stages in life, those things you're wrestling with will be different, okay? When you're younger, it might be wrestling with, you know, who are going to be my friends, all right? Who am I going to play with on the playground? Who's going to be my friends? Or given choices of flavors of ice cream. What flavor of ice cream am I going to get? That's a big wrestle. Don't go to Baskin Robbins if that's your case. There's too many flavors. But as you get older to get to college age, you know, right? Where am I going to college? What am I going to do with my life? All of these adults saying you've got to figure your life out at 18 or 19. You're wrestling with that. You're wrestling with who you will marry potentially in life or who will you be with your life. You know, what's your life going to look like when you're out of college? Who you're going to relate to and connect to. And then, then as you get older, there's health issues and things and job issues. And it just goes, we, we have things that we wrestle with, right? So in this story, you see that, that Jacob is wrestling with an unnamed man that we believe is God from later in the passage, but, but why? You know, why is there a wrestling going on? Now, this taking place at, a, uh, at an area called Peniel, which is where uh, Jacob was supposed to meet his brother I mentioned earlier, Esau. And this is why. This is the context. Jacob is a big trickster in the Bible. He pulls tricks on everybody in the Bible, Okay. He even pulled a trick on his older brother Esau by somehow tricking their father to give Jacob the birthright of the firstborn, even though Jacob wasn't. And so you have this situation where Jacob tricked his older brother, and now he's afraid that his brother's going to come back and take vengeance on him. And so what Jacob does is he runs from his brother after he tricks his father into giving him the birthright. And Jacob runs to an area where a man named Laban has property. And he takes refuge with Laban. And Laban is going to promise Jacob here while he's here on his property some of his daughters. Okay, and this is very common. If you work on the land, you can marry one of my daughters if you're seeking refuge here. So this is kind of where we find Jacob in his story. Is that he's seeking refuge on Laban's property, trying to work the land, also gaining favor and uh, receiving his daughters as, a, as part of the reward for doing so. But when Esau has been told to be coming to see Jacob, it's also been said that Esau's coming to see Jacob here at Laban's property near Peniel with 400 men. So Jacob's real afraid that his brother is going to do some physical harm to him. And so what does he do? What does Jacob do? He decides to send these wives of his that he gets from Laban to go meet Esau and his men to see if he'll harm them first. Okay, what a great husband, right? Hey, I'll send my wives, my children to go meet my potentially angry brother and 400 and see what happens to them first. And if they make it out okay, then maybe I'll be okay. So there again, he's not the, the, makes the best decision. And so that's where it says here when we pick up on verse 22, the same night he got up, took his two wives, his two maids, 11 children, crossed the ford of Jabuk, he took them and sent them across the stream 
likewise. And then he was left alone. So here you see that he sent them ahead. And he's sending them ahead to meet Esau and all these people. And he's going to hang back. And he's alone in this moment. Okay? And so that's where we, we find Jacob in this nighttime scene. Wrestling with this unnamed man that we believe to be God. And as I said earlier, we can relate to that, right? We can relate to Jacob wrestling with something, right? And he could be wrestling with his decisions that he has made, the way he's tricked his brothers, the way he has sent his wives ahead of him. It can be a lot of things that he is wrestling with God on. And as Christians, we also can relate to that because as Christians, we also at times have probably wrestled with God on an array of issues, right? We have. And part of it is because of what society teaches us on what God is versus what the church teaches us what God is. You see, society tells us that God is like a genie in a bottle, right? And that if you just... Give him praises. If you do exactly as he said, he'll grant all of your wishes. You know, God's here. His sole purpose is to grant your wishes, right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because God is not here to do your will, right? We are here to do God's will, but yet we know we're given the ability of free will, and it's because of the gift of free will is what causes our struggle, okay? Because, yes, we can wrestle with God, and we can wrestle with God as trying to show us, to reveal to us, to try to lead us into, and we could submit and follow through, listen and do, or we can resist and we can walk away, right? There's consequences of our choices. But yet the struggle comes into play because we have the gift God loves us so the ability to where we can choose whether or not to listen, to follow through. And we have the ability to wrestle with God, okay? And it's because of this wrestling, I can say that I've wrestled with God on many things in my own personal life. Now, I do have decent faith. There's a lot of times where I'll tell folks, I'm like, you know what? We just got to have faith. It, at the end, it works out. I can't tell you how. I just know through what Scripture has said in these stories and through examples and experiences, one of those theological reflection points that I have, it works out. may not be how you intend it, but just have faith. But then when it comes to things like where I know I can reason through it, but still it doesn't quite make sense, that's where I come into struggles with my faith, where I feel like this should logically happen, but it's not. And that's where I have my struggle. That's where I wrestle with God with is where my brain ends and where faith begins, okay? And I think many of us have a different point where that happens for us, but yet we wrestle with our faith. I think all of us wrestle with our faith. But when we do that and we come through it, I believe that over time we have a stronger understanding or a different understanding of our faith. And when we reason... When we use reason with our faith, it means we're applying our minds to what God is trying to do. God gives us a brain that has the ability to learn, to adapt, and to change. He did that for a reason. If he didn't want us to have a brain, he would have just programmed us to, to, to constantly just do whatever he wanted to do. But he gave us free will. He gave us a brain. We can think. We can make decisions. 
as a gift for him. And we have this ability to reason. Applying reason is using our mind when looking at our faith. And so we've talked about scripture, we talked about tradition, we talked about experience. And scripture is the primary way of how we learn about God, the Bible, scripture. That was our first sermon on the series, and that it provides everything you need to know for your salvation. Okay? If you can read scripture, study scripture, ask questions about it, as you grow in that, that's going to give you what you need in applying it to our lives. And there are some really great authors out there who have taken scripture and have done an apologetic type of study of God and made a lot of reason and good sense out of what scripture means and how it fits into our lives, proving the existence of God and how he still is at work in our lives through using our minds. And that's apologetic. And some of y'all may have had apologetic courses before where you use reason and try to break down scripture and make it make sense. A couple of authors have done that. It's Tim Keller, The Reason for God, is a good book out there. It's an audio book. He basically breaks down scripture and God into reasoning, into making it make sense. And The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, is another book that was written that kind of does an apologetics type of look at God, at Jesus. And, you know, in this passage here, I love this passage because this passage leans into us focusing on faith but also focusing on reason on reason you know when we um, wrestle and when we fight and when we ask questions and we think through we begin to grow and God begins to reveal himself to us okay and one thing that we begin to see is that when we study scripture, use reason, look at these experiences and things in our lives, is that God really does love us. He really does love his creation. Uh, one reason why we know that he loves us and he's not done with us yet is because he is powerful enough to get rid of us instantly. And there's probably plenty good reason why he should, right? But yet he doesn't. Yet he doesn't. He doesn't get rid of us instantly. We are still here, still living, breathing, making choices. And we see God's love in that, right? We also see God's love through the son that he sent through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to live out the scriptures, to show us what it means to live out these scriptures and to show us where we take things in the wrong direction. And then what did he ultimately do with his life? but yet submitted himself to God's will and allowed himself to die a painful death for our sake. He sacrificed himself out of love for us. So therefore, we see when we're called to be Christians, to live like Christ, we are called to live a life of love of others, even to the point of sacrifice. Okay? So we begin to see with reason as we, as we study Scripture and see the experience that, that God is love. God loves us. He calls us to love Others. So when we love God with our mind, when we begin to use reasoning and love God with our mind, it, it calls us to take our faith seriously, right? It is a serious thing that we need to take and to show and to love. The Bible is still primary, and we are saved by our faith in believing in Jesus Christ. Our faith is not going to, uh, or reason necessarily is not going to save us, but it's our faith. But reason is our way we can look at it. 
Uh, in our theology of the United Methodist Church, John Wesley, who's the main theologian we look at, he was real big on using your mind. He wrote a book on very common sense things that was common sense on good hygiene, on how to take care of your body, how to manage your finances wisely, because he understood that, yes, you can have faith in God, and that's important for salvation, but he gave you a mind. So do some common sense things to keep yourself living longer, right? Do some common sense things to make sure you have enough money in the bank. So he also wrote a lot about, hey, use your brain that God gives you also to live your life as well. Okay, so he was real big on reason. And then we value reason because it also leads us to conversations, right? What you do in Bible studies, what you do in your small group studies, when you and a buddy get together and y'all are wrestling with an item and using scripture, right there you're using reason in your brain to think through your faith. So this is an important way in which we theologically reflect. Our brain is a gift of God. Our ability to reason is a gift of God. And it's one of the main lenses we can use to understand him. But as I said, reasoning is not going to save you, but it helps you understand him. It is your faith in him that will save you. Now there was a time in my ministry where, um, as I said, I have great faith. And a lot of times when I talk to folks, I said, look, I understand your situation and why you're struggling with this. I would struggle with it too. But, you know, in the end, God works out good things for all who love him, as it says in Romans. And, and so sometimes you have to go out on faith. But there's been times in my ministry where I'll say that, but in my brain, I'm thinking, this doesn't make sense. How is this actually going to work out for this individual? How is this actually going to work out for this person? And one time there was an individual in the church who was having a, uh, a medical crisis in their life. They have gone to the doctor, they were having some complications, and through testings and scans, uh, it came back that there was a mass in the colon. Uh, that's a clear example, it was clear as day. That, and that mass, they don't know until they take it out and do a biopsy, but it could be cancerous. And this was a young person, had kids, in the prime of their career, prime of their life, and they were given this diagnosis of there's a mass, it's got to come out, it could be cancer, it's just not looking good. And so here I am, talking to this individual, talking to their husband and then their spouse, and trying to help them work through this. And somebody came to me, said, you know what, have you ever done a healing service before? And I said, well, not a healing service for a medical, we've done healing services for loss and grief and things of that nature, but to actually lay hands pray for somebody to be physically healed of their ailments. I have not had the opportunity to do that, but I am open for that. And so this individual reached out to the couple that was going through this, and they agreed. And so we decided to have a private healing service for this individual and their family and friends. And there is an uh, order of worship that we have in our United Methodist Church for this type of service. So we follow that order. And involves oil and anointing of oils. And so we had a healing service for this individual with their family and friends. Um, that this, this tumor would just go away. And now in my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, my reasoning and my logic saying, okay, the doctor saw it there. It shows up on multiple tests and scans. It's got to be there to come out. But I said, you know what? We're going to go on faith. We're going to, why not, pray big or go home, right? We're going to pray big. We're not going to pray just that this person gets through chemo and gets through the surgery. We're going to pray that this mask just goes away. 
We're going to go big. Swing for the fences. But in my mind, I'm like, I just don't know. I've never had this happen in my personal ministry. You hear stories like this. So here comes the time. It was a Sunday after church. We gathered together in this space. And we uh, go through the healing service. We go through the prayers and the scripture readings, the oil, the laying of hands, the whole nine yards. We do it all. And then afterwards, everybody leaves. The next day is the day that she's supposed to go in and have this procedure. And I was expecting to get messages back saying, you know, hey, everything went well. They got it out. We expect the results here in such and such time. Let's pray for, you know, a good treatment plan, yada, yada, yada. And so through being in contact with the family throughout the day, I got an interesting report at the end of the day. They went in there, went into the, to the surgery, and when they got in there, lo and behold, it was gone. There was no tumor. There was no mass. What the scans and the tests and everything showed, it didn't actually show up physically. Nobody had a reason why. There was scar tissue there, but no mass. And so I was still in my mind, this does not make sense. This just does not make sense. And so the next day, I went back to the person who, who uh, proposed the idea about, hey, let's do a healing service for this couple, their friends and family, let's see if they want to do this. And I was talking to this individual who, who brought the idea up, and I said, you know, I don't understand, and I, I'm still wrestling with how it's not there, even, and I'm supposed to have this faith that it would be gone because we did the service, but... That individual told me, he said, well, you know what the purpose of a scar is? And I said, it's just where you were healed from something. And he was like, yes, but it also is a reminder of something that was once there, but it's no longer. So there, I just took it. My rational mind is that, you know, that was there. And guess what? That healing service worked. It's gone, and God left a scar to show us that he can still do great things even today. And, you know, so that's where we can come into this moment where, like, we can relate to Jacob and his wrestling. Because he, too, was left with a scar, right? God struck him on his hip, so he walked with a limp to remember that moment where he wrestled with God. Jacob, who is known for tricks and for running... And for sending his wives ahead of him to potentially be harmed instead of himself. In this moment, did not run away from wrestling with God. And God sent him a reminder. He said, you will now no longer be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel. For you have wrestled with God and man. And I will leave you with this scar, this reminder of how you did not run. But you wrestled. And with faith... You came through. And so I think for us, reasoning is an important lens of which we look through our faith. But there are also times in our life when we wrestle with questions, we wrestle with things, and we also have to leave it up to God and leave it up to faith. I had a, an actual, it was an Anglican priest that I was talking to at one point, and we, I was talking about this whole idea of that doesn't 
reasonable that God would do this. It doesn't seem rational. And he said, you know, there are some things that God does that we just are not going to be able to compute in our brains. We're not going to be able to understand every single thing with reason. And that's okay too. Because maybe in that moment, God wants you to wrestle with something. He wants you to be at peace with something. And so I think in those moments in our lives that we're, ra- we're wrestling, we're using reasoning, we're asking questions, talking to people, and if it's still not quite there, it doesn't quite make sense, then we lean on our faith. And so that's also another key part of reasoning, that sometimes we have to rely on faith after we've done our part. And as United Methodists, I feel like the four pillars that we use, Scripture, experience, tradition, and reasoning, when we use those different lenses, when we put on those different glasses to study God, I think we get a pretty full picture of what He is, what He's trying to show us. And then in even those moments where we can't still quite pinpoint it, then maybe that's exactly where He wants us in that moment, and to lean on our faith. And so don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged when things just don't play out the way you want it to. Because sometimes God may have something greater in mind that we are yet to be revealed to. And so when we go into Lent, next next Sunday we begin Lent, that is a time of reflection. Uh, I like how we observe Lent here in our church because we, yes, we give up something for Lent or we take on something that's going to help us or whatever with Lent. But Lent is a time of reflection. It's a time for us to theologically reflect through scripture and tradition, reason, and experience to see what God is showing us. To show us, you know, where he is calling us to be individually, but then as a church. Because I believe our church is right now on the cusp of doing many great things that are going to be new, that are going to be different. But yet, we also have faith that God is going to lead us into what he wants us to be. And we can have that faith by using the ways we theologically reflect. And so may we find ourselves in this story with Jacob. May we find ourselves having faith in the Lord. And may we give our free will. May we use our free will to freely give it back to him. And to what he is needing us to be. Let's pray.